0: Are we live? Do you hear me? Okay. On I'm on the air. <laughs> hey, good morning. My name's Paul Walton. Uh, my wife and myself have just recently become home group leaders. Um, and uh, this is like a new step for me. I've been asked to kind of lead a home group now. And I did preach one a couple of Sundays ago, way back in... September, and, uh, you know, it's kind of funny because uh, in our previous church, I was in leadership and did a lot of preaching of the Word, and we led a home group there, and I came to Mercy Hill, um, I said, okay, Lord, wherever you need me, um, I'm willing to serve, so I've been setting up chairs for three years, (laughs) and uh, yeah. Chairman of the board. And I said, Lord, it, you know, if your desire is for me to be in leadership again and to preach, um, I'm not going to lobby for it, you know. You just uh, make it happen, and if that's what you want me to do, you'll make it obvious to me, and I'll step into that role. And uh, you know, it's, it's all by God's providence and so- sovereignty in all things that, uh, that I'm up here this morning. It's not that uh, there's anything of great value in me, Paul Walton, because I was a rebel for many years. Um, You know, as Gary was sharing about John and uh, the passing of David, um, it really fits into this message here this morning because the painful truth is, is that we will all suffer. Uh, even the children of God, we suffer. And, you know, there's kind of a a theology that I was taught when I first came in to the church is that, oh, come to Jesus and your financial problems will go away, your marriage will get great, uh, no more sickness. You just, whatever you want, you just speak it and you can make it happen for yourself. And it's kind of gotten the uh, term prosperity gospel. And not only is it just not true, <laughs> but it can also be very harmful to young believers because they they start trusting that. And when they when sickness does come, and when financial problems come, when pressures of life come, you have two choices or three, and say, well. I guess I just don't have enough faith. That's the problem. That's why God's not answering my prayers. Or your second option is is that, well, God just doesn't care because, you know, I'm suffering and He sees it and He's not doing anything about it. I was told that He's going to heal me. He's going to meet me. And then the third option is just say, well, if this is the way He treats His children, then I'm out of here. And I've seen that happen. With a lot of friends of mine in the faith, uh, marriages dissolved that both were believers. And, you know, as life happens, people make mistakes and the other person doesn't forgive and they get divorced and then people's hearts get hard and they get bitter and they walk away. And uh, I've seen that happen with several people because they didn't have the correct understanding of suffering. I mean, we are going to suffer, but uh, suffering isn't without a purpose, I guess I'll put it that way, is that God has a design in it, and uh, I think (laughs) the last time I preached, I got to preach on knowing the love of God that surpasses all knowledge, and to be filled with the fullness of God, and it was all very uplifting, you know... (laughs) glorious things about the truth of God. And then I said, Lord, what do you want me to, to preach about? And he led me to, to Romans 8. And uh, it's tough. I mean, I'll just be honest, because there's there's a lot of hard truth in here. And uh, But God's providence and sovereignty in all things is should be the soft pillow that we lie our head upon at night, knowing that even through the trials, through the suffering, that he's there, that he cares. And, uh, you know, I think it was Jonathan Edwards, or it might have been Thomas Watson, he said, for the unbeliever, this world is the closest they ever get to experiencing heaven. But to the child of God, this earth is the only hell they will ever know. It's a pretty powerful statement when you think about it. If you're trusting in this world for your satisfaction, if you're not trusting in the redemption of your body and being born again in Jesus Christ and ultimately being with Him for eternity, this is as good as it's going to get right here. Because you're not trusting Christ, you'll be accountable for all your sins. But for us who are trusting Christ is that this is the only hell we'll ever know walking this earth because he has a great and glorious future for us. And, uh, you know, I was kind of sharing with Nick on <laughs> In and Out on Thursday night. We're kind of going over the sermon. And I said, you know, it's really strange because when you think about it, it's, it's like these two events have happened. You've got the fall of Adam over here, this happens outside of us, you know, is that. One man, you know, disobeyed God, and that sin carries down all through mankind. And then this other thing happens outside. I said Jesus Christ dies on the cross for our sins, and His death and His resurrection. So you got these two things that they both happened outside of us. But in reality, Paul tells us that in Romans 12 that just as sin came into the world through one man. And death through that sin, so death spread to all men, because all men have sinned. Now, um, if the ushers want to come forward, we're going to pass out Bibles to so those who don't have it. Because I don't uh, I don't have any slides. I'm not like Chris Keener. I'm not all up on uh, <laughs> PowerPoint and all that stuff. I'm old school. At least I'm using a computer now. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and uh the text we're gonna read, I'm gonna read it first and I'll pray. It's gonna be on page nine forty-four of the Bibles that were passed out. And the, the text we're covering this morning is Romans eight fourteen through twenty-three. I'm gonna get a quick drink of water here. <clears throat> So I'm going to read it, here we go. <laughs> Hopefully you're there. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him, in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Verse 18, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. That the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Let's pray. Lord, I. I love the truth of Your Word, Lord, that uh, there's great and glorious truth, grace, and justice in Your Word, Lord, that uh, that You give to man, Lord, that uh, because You love us, You want us to know the truth, Lord. Your desire, Lord, is for us to be reconciled to You, Is that you desire that all would be saved and come into the knowledge of Jesus Christ, Lord? That your your arms have always been outstretched towards us. And yet we're always the ones that have turned our backs on you and, and gone the other way. And even in our rebellion, Lord, that you continually chase after us with truth in your words. And come home, son. Come home, daughter. Find rest, find peace. Come home, be with me. We thank you, Lord, that we are your children that are trusting you, Lord. And uh, help me, Lord, to uh, share this word now. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen. First of all, as we're looking at the text, I'd, I'd like you to notice that uh, from verse 14 to 17, they all mention the words sons or children. You see it there in verse 14, sons of God. 15, adoption as sons. 16, children of God. 17, if children, then heirs. Paul is really trying to drive in the point that we are the children of God. We become our father's children, and when we do that, we start to act like our father. And we start to uh, war against the things that the father hates, and that's being sin. We are being led by the Spirit, and in the leading of the Spirit proves and authenticates we are as children, that we are a child of God. The Spirit confirms we are adopted as children. Um, let's turn to page eight eight six for those that the Bibles we handed out. I just want to share. I'm going to pull from another uh, area of the Bible, John one twelve through thirteen. <clears throat> Give you a minute to get there. It's also in the same theme that we're hearing from John. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name. He gave the right to become children of God who were born not of the blood nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man, but of God. It's not by a bloodline or even by a man's will or anything about a man that we become His children. It's solely through God and His will alone that we are able to call Him Abba, Father. One other passage I want to pull in. This is uh, Paul to Galatians. If you want to turn to nine seventy four, Galatians four five through seven. The purpose was to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons. God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. The Spirit replaces the fear of a slave towards his master with the love of a son towards his father. I hope God is known to you that way. That He's known to you as a loving father, and not a fearful authority figure, because that makes all the difference. It really does. He's adopted us in. And uh, He's done it because of His great grace and mercy for us. <clears throat> in Romans 5, five I'll just read this one so you guys don't have to turn there. How do we go from this fear of God as this authority figure to love. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. It's how it happens. I mean, knowing the truth of doctrine, knowing the biblical truth, that's important. But it it doesn't change our heart. You know, I mean, the the devil knows doctrine. I mean, he can quote Scripture. He did it when he tempted Jesus in the wilderness. It's what changes us is knowing that this kind of love that cries out, Abba, Father, when we see Jesus hanging on the cross, what kind of emotion does that create in you? I pray that it melts your heart, that it creates a great love for God. Because that's how much he loves us. Like that much. Okay, we're going to move down to verse 17 of Romans here, 8. And if, God, and if children then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. <clears throat> now, this verse can seem a bit. Unnerving we don 't want to hear, provided that we suffer with him, Jesus said that if if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me for whoever for whoever would save his life will lose it but but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. now, the good thing is is that <laughs> Further down in these verses, we're going to see a promise of a future glory that will help us make this current pain more manageable. There's no escaping the suffering and pain of this fallen, fallen world. We will suffer, but this current state of affairs, it doesn't have the last word for the child of God. We become God's children by adoption. We're adopted in. So we, by our adoption, become heirs, even fellow heirs with Christ. So what do we inherit being fellow heirs? Well, Psalm 2 8 says, Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of your earth your possession. Psalm 21 4 The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and the world and those who dwell within. We are as heirs, and we inherit it all. <laughs> so we don't need to fight for little scraps of it now. The Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. But even more wonderful than that promise of inheriting the world, inheriting the universe, is that we gain God Himself as our loving and all-providing Father. Romans 5.2, through Him, through Christ, we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We hope in God Himself, and not just the gifts. As wonderful as they are, they cannot compare to the wonder of God and His glory. At the foundation of our joy is God Himself. You know, I believe Nick has shared Revelations 21.3 several times, but it's the it's ultimate plan for his children. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Next verse, 18. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. There's suffering (laughs) in this present time. But Paul's saying it's not worth even considering when we compare it to the glory. The truth is, though, if if we run from this suffering, if we chuck it... (laughs) We don't get the inheritance. We miss out on it. So if it wasn't a real temptation to run from the suffering, Paul would not have written this verse. But he's writing to encouraging us not to throw away our hope in Christ. When the miseries and the groaning of this present age are about to overwhelm us, don't give in to the temptation to chuck it all. Because the temptation is real. As I shared earlier, there's people I know that have chucked it and said, "You know what this is the way he treats his his kids i'm not I'm not hanging around for this um I asked Craig if I could share this little um that little it's truth story about suffering and what it can lead our hearts to do is that his sister Jeannie was um diagnosed very aggressive form of cancer. It was painful. She went through surgeries, went through chemo, and it dragged on for months and months. But she told her whole family is that she was thankful for what she went through because She readily admit that her closeness with Christ, her her walk with Christ, wasn't what it should have been. It had grown somewhat cold. I think I could be fair in saying that. Like a lot of us, you know, we just take advantage or, or take for granted that Jesus is just always there for us when we need him and kind of do our own thing. But The reality of cancer and the suffering, it drove her to Christ. It drove her to the Bible. And uh, in the end, her funeral was the most glorious event that I've ever been to, I believe. uh, Because she shared, you know, with the minister that. Excuse me. get a drink of water. That uh, she wanted everyone to know that she was not upset at God for this cancer. In fact, she was even thankful that God had given her this time to come back to him. To restore that relationship. And even in our own home group... uh, Laura Hoyt, her niece, recently diagnosed with very aggressive form of cancer and went through surgery and going through chemo right now. Um, Laura said she's a different woman. <laughs> everything she's sharing with everyone now is all about Christ and His goodness and His glory and um, That it's actually been an awakening of her heart and her soul, and uh, for that she's thankful. And yes, we're praying that she be fully healed. Um, she just recently became engaged, uh, looking forward to getting married and, and having a long life, and we want that for her. But uh, the truth is, is that pain and suffering—if we—if we see it as God purposely allowing it for her, <coughs> for us we can use it to glorify him, so we become God's children by adoption, we become heirs- fellow heirs with Christ. oh, sorry, I already read that, didn't I? Sorry, I need to flip the page. <laughs> I'm not Nick up here, guys. You have a little great. <laughs> well, if anyone knew about suffering, it was Paul, right? 2 Corinthians eleven, twenty-four, 26. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked a night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, danger from false brothers. Perhaps we're thinking, is this suffering just about persecution per se then? Because, you know, it's Paul, we know that he was persecuted for his faith. Or does it include all types of suffering? Well, I think the term in verse 18, sufferings of this present age, I believe in reference to all types of suffering and not just persecution. Verse 23 speaks of men suffering because of the curse of sin upon creation. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly, as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Now, pain comes in three forms, I believe. It's either by man, by Satan, or by nature itself. You see that in earthquakes, hurricanes, floods, droughts. But will we trust in the sovereign goodness of God over it all and His ability to bring us to everlasting glory? <clears throat> Paul, like a hunter, has his finger on the trigger. <clears throat> after these verses, down in verse 28, which I hopefully I can get to, because <laughs> uh, it really builds up our faith uh, that he's ready to unload this as his argument that this present suffering is not worth comparing to the the ultimate gain that we have in Christ because God is able to make all things work for our good. He knows He's going to say it, but He's laying down the groundwork here in these verses to provide evidence that while we groan, we do not groan as those who have no hope. I was sharing with Nick as we were having lunch uh, Thursday night that Paul was like a coach on the sidelines. He's like cheering us on saying, I know you stumbled, I know you've fallen, you've scraped up your knees, you got blisters on top of blisters, and you want to give up. You're saying, don't give up. Keep hanging in there, fight. Keep trusting, keep looking towards Christ as your ultimate goal. Because um, we will suffer, even the children. But apart from Christ... We have no hope in suffering. It's pointless because it isn't producing any eternal value. But with Christ, we have hope for something beyond this world. The truth is that we will all suffer and we will all die. But do we fear it or do we know that, it will, that we will find comfort in Christ when sickness and death come? Because I promise it will come. Okay, I have to admit, up to this point, I know this has been a sobering uh, sermon. It's It's been, you know, uh, probably hard on a lot of people, because I know a lot of people are going through things in this room, you know. And, uh, you know, I, I appreciate the worship music here at Mercy Hill, because it's not just a lot of silly praise songs. And I, sorry, it's probably not the right thing to say, but... People come into this room suffering, going through things, getting up here and doing a happy clappy song all the time is just not reality. And uh, we need to be aware of what our brothers and sisters are going through. And know that, uh, that even though we uh, might not be suffering right now at this point, other people are. And so while we're maybe not experiencing it we can come alongside them and build them up and and encourage them you know, just like Gary was sharing this morning you know it's so thankful for this family here at mercy hill that have brought them meals and shared truth and been with them and brothers and sisters and it's so important but i did see six great truths starting from verse 18 down to verse 23. And the first one I saw in verse 18 is that we will see an all-satisfying beauty and greatness. That's how I see it, and I'll read the verse now. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us, right? Right? When something is revealed, it means we truly begin to see it. When someone's explaining a particular view they've seen or a place, they may des- describe it in exact detail, but it's not like actually beholding it ourselves. Uh, several years back, <clears throat> when we were with some other friends, uh, another group of friends back at our other church. Uh, Rick Garcia, a friend of ours, uh, planned this trip to Half Dome to hike to the top. And he planned it. Um, it wasn't the one we went on, guys. It was the one before that. <laughs> we went a couple of times. Um, he planned it so on that weekend we'd have a full moon at night after we did the hike. And uh, so after we did the hike, uh, we all went back. I think we all went to Curry Village and had a little meal, and we all got in our cars, and we drove all the way up to Glacier Point. I don't know if any of you guys are familiar with that, but it was awesome, man. I mean, here you had this view of Half Dome. You could see Vernell Falls, the Nevada Falls, Yosemite Falls. I mean, that was back when we had water in California. And uh, we had the moon coming up over Half Dome. And, uh, you know, actually the uh, National Society... Our National Park Society for Preservation of Yosemite was up there holding a uh, like a little gathering. They had a, a telescope set up that you could look at the moon. There was a guy up there playing the guitar. And, you know, as much as I try and describe this to you guys, it's not like seeing it for yourselves. I mean, it's not like being there. That's what Paul's saying. It's like, there's going to be this glory that's going to be revealed to us that's beyond comparison. And uh, he said that, you know, we have no category right now in our brain for this type of glory because we're we're not in a glorious state ourselves. So uh, we're not able to fully see the glory of God in our present state. But we will. Because like Paul said, I guess the best way to describe that, what I'm trying to say is 1 Corinthians 13.12. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Now we see God's glory with a vagueness, through a dusty window covered in cobwebs, but then, face to face, we will see His glory perfectly because we will be glorified with Him. The greatest and best prayer Christ could pray for His disciples is found in John 17:24. Father, I desire that they also whom You have given Me may be with Me where I am to see My glory that You have given Me because you have loved me before the foundation of the world. Seeing the glory of Christ, the very Son of God, was the best gift that Jesus could pray for us, that we as followers would receive a vision of His glory to endure the suffering in this life. Seeing Christ clearly as He truly is, is the best antidote for the pain we experience in this life. Towards the end of the verse... The words to be, you see in there. It's coming. We were created to see and enjoy awesome beauty. It's why people make trips to the Grand Canyon. It's like people like us that went to Yosemite Valley. You go there to see Half Dome, El Capitan. People pay great amount of money to see world-class athletes. We're designed to see greatness and beauty, Right? The list goes on and on. We are filled with wonder when we see great things. We go to, uh, people pay money to go to plays and go to operas. And, but none of these things compare with the beauty and the glory of God. Second promise I see was in verse 18. God promises that the children of God will be revealed with a glory of their own. In verse 18, we see that something's going to be revealed to us. And now in verse 19, we're going to be revealed to creation. So what does that mean? For creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Well, in our current state, the children of God, we don't look too glorious, right? We get sick. We become tired and crabby and grouchy. <laughs> we grow old. I got arthritis in my left knee. My wife has rheumatoid arthritis. I mean, everybody's suffering, right? I mean, we're not—we're <laughs> not these uh, beautiful, glorious creatures yet. <laughs> we suffer right now, and uh, I mean, we do make in our spiritual life, we make some small advances, right? I mean, we're not as, quite as greedy as I used to be and not as, quite as angry as I used to be, but I am far from glorious. Even Paul says in Romans 7.24, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? We are not these titans, right? These children of God that are to be admired, No, we're far from it. We're just mere struggling mortals. There's nothing more glorious about us right now than anyone else. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4.7, But we have this treasure, Spirit of God, in in jars of clay (laughs) to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Now Christ said in Matthew 13.43, Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. Well, as I look out over this crowd, and I looked in the mirror this morning, (laughs) nobody's glowing like the sun in here, right? (laughs) We look just like every other human being right now that walks upon this earth. But a day is coming. Yeah, it is. We're going to shine like the sun. We're going to be like Christ. Not as deity, but we shall become glorified like Him. Because that's the reality of our faith. There is the now, and then there's the not yet reality of our faith. I admit that I was hoping I'd look a lot more like Jesus at 60 than I did at 40. <laughs> and that I haven't made much progress. But verse 18 says God promises that we will see the greatness and the glory in the universe. And God, and 19 promises that we will savor and enjoy it. Because we will be changed by that glory so completely that we will be free from anything that would frustrate our joy in God. And we don't want to miss out on one other massive truth in this verse that all of creation is oriented on the revelation of the children of God. God made the universe for us and not us for the universe. We inherit the world. The world doesn't inherit us. And all God's created universe is waiting for the children of God to be revealed. Do you realize that? The Rocky Mountains, the Pacific Ocean, the fruited plains are all standing on tippy toes saying, reveal to us the children of God. The Milky Ways leaning over, wanting to see the children of God. They're saying, come on, sons of God, reveal the glory of your Father and our Creator to us. Currently, only man is able to consciously worship God. But when the new heavens and earth are created and they break forth, they will sing the praises of God in His new created state. The third promise I see, verse 20, God promises that His ultimate design in the decree of futility is hope for the children. For creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Now, if the last two words weren't there, in hope, you might think the hymn there was Adam or the devil, but he didn't subject Uh, creation to futility with hope. He did it out. He sinned. There was no hope in there. And it's not the devil. He didn't subject it in hope. It was God. And that's a tough truth. I mean, this is, when we were having dinner Thursday night, Nick and I, he says, man, brother, he goes, I struggle with this verse. I think we all should struggle with this verse. It's sobering. It's sobering to think that that God cursed the earth. You know that the thorns now were going to grow up out of the earth, and uh, He told him, "When He bites, if you disobey me, Adam, you're going to bring death. You're going to cause a curse to come upon the earth." But it it's not the last word, the curse. It was, there's a design in it. And we should have a healthy respect of God. And if, uh, if we don't have the proper view of God's holiness and His righteousness, and if we don't see how brutal, how ugly sin is, we might think it was an overreaction by God, right? To, to curse the world. So we have to have a healthy understanding of God's holiness and why He did it. So when we feel like we're almost to the point of being overwhelmed by our pain and the suffering of this world, remember, this is not God's final design and purpose for us. If we trust in Him and hold fast to Him as our ultimate treasure then it will be all for good that the words in hope imply at the end of the verse. Now, promise number four. God promises that all creation, not just the children of God, will be freed from the curse of futility and corruption. Verse 21. That creation itself will be set free from the bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So we have seen in verse 19 that the children of God will be revealed with a glory that enables them to enjoy the fullness of the glory of God. And now we see the other part, the promise in verse 21, creation itself will be freed from the slavery to corruption, decay, and futility. That means no more destruct, destructive earthquakes, droughts, or floods. No more disease or painful accidents or pesky fallen insects that carried viruses. The prophecy of Isaiah 65:17 will come true. For behold, I create a new heaven and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. I mentioned earlier that we need to be glorified in order to be able to enjoy all the fullness of God's glory and the inheritance, the universe, that we will receive. It needs to be glorified as well. We need a suitable environment for our newly glorified state. The freedom that glorification brings to us will be spilled over to creation itself. Promise 5. i got to hurry up here now. So, God promises... That the current sorrows of creation are not in the throes of death, but rather the labor pains of childbirth. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. I was thinking about this ago. Let's say you go to the hospital and and you need an operation and. You're in the operating room. They will you to your recovering unit. And you're laying in the hospital bed. And in the distance, you hear groans of a woman. Now, you're not sure where you are, so am I next to the cancer unit? Is Is she suffering? Or am I next to the maternity ward? And those groans are groans that are leading to life and not death. And that's God's ultimate design here, is that while we're groaning, it's not leading to death, it's leading to life. And that these birth pangs of the coming of the King of God, and if you're a child of the Most High, a child of the King, all your suffering are labor pains and not death spasms. And I mean all of them. Even the death pains are leading to life. John Owens, reading that John Owens, he was on his deathbed and he had a secretary come in and he goes, I want to leave a last word. And he goes, I'm about to leave the land of the living. And he thought about that. He goes, No, strike that. I'm about to leave the land of the dying and enter into the land of the living. It's our view. Right. And number six, God promises that our bodies will be redeemed from all groaning. Verse 23, And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruit of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Listen to what Paul tells us, what ultimately awaits us in 1 Corinthians 15. 51 through 55. Behold, I tell you a mystery: we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will raise will be raised imperishable, and will be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on the on immortality. And when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then it shall come to pass with the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Now, I was hoping I'd be able to get to verse 28 and and really kind of expound on it, but I'm going to be run out of time. But I'm just going to share... That uh, I kind of shared this with Nick the other night. <laughs> I used to duck hunt a little bit, and uh, what we do is like well, there's different size shots and different size uh, cartridges. And for duck hunting, usually use like a, a number three, and it comes in like a two and a three, two and three quarter shell. But for geese, you'd use like a three inch magnum with a number two shot in it. And that means it, it's a more powerful shot and it can reach out and touch somebody. (laughs) And uh, so what you do is you load that big shell in first and then you load in your other two because sometimes you're duck hunting, all these ducks are just flying over you. And the first two shots, you're just kind of firing in the air. Then you realize, I got one last shot. (laughs) I'm going to take my time. I'm going to level off on my target and I know I've got something that's going to reach. And that's what Paul did in, in verse 28. For we know that those who love God all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. That means everything that comes our way, is gonna work it for our good. I mean, I, I used to really fear cancer because it runs in our family. I remember for a while there at my previous church, you know, every night I turned around, every guy was having prostate cancer. And uh it's like wow, man, it's like I better keep checked up on this and start taking the right vitamins because I don't want... And I mean, that's all good, and, you know, you want to do that. I'm saying that, but... I mean, even now, it's like, okay, Lord, whatever you allow into my life, I know that ultimately you're designing it for good. That it's filtered through Him. And uh, He's not just off in the distance, you know, like a, like some deists think that the world was like a clock. He just wound it up and he lets it go and he sits back and just watches. I mean, that's no comfort when you're suffering. Knowing that God hears me and cares about me and is designing everything for my purpose, that brings comfort. So for you that are trusting in Jesus Christ for the fulfillment of all his promises to you, know that in this hope you have been saved. That if we hope, For what we do not see, we wait for it sometimes with groaning, but we wait with patience and with an unconquerable joy. And if you're not yet trusting in Christ, remember what I said at John 1.12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. And if we are indeed his children, heirs with Christ, we can be assured of Him fulfilling all the promises for Him. So receive Him. Trust in Him. That's my prayer for you. <clears throat> I'm going to close in prayer. As Nick makes his way back up here. <clears throat> Lord, I, I I hope and I pray, Lord, that... Uh, Those that are suffering today, Lord, hope I was able to deliver your word in a way that comforted them, that they know that Lord, you love them and you care for them. And every suffering that comes our way, Lord, that you ultimately plan for our good, that there's a purpose behind it, Lord. That you love us, Lord. That that no one's being picked on, Lord. We're all going to suffer. We're all ultimately going to die if you tarry. You return, so we don't have to think that it's not our faith isn't strong enough, or God doesn't love me. No, He loves you, and your faith is strong enough. Just like I shared with G- about Jeannie Craig's sister, or Craig's sister and and uh, Laura's niece, that they were even at the end, thankful and during right now for Elizabeth, that, that this suffering has drawn them closer to you, Lord. And they're finding comfort, they're finding peace. And it was your ultimate plan, Lord, to, to use it, Lord, to glorify you and ultimately them also, Lord. We thank you for the truth of your word. In Jesus' name, amen.